0: Welcome book lovers here for Book Circle Online. We're starting a brand new series called Adapted where we talk about books that have been turned into movies. So it's a very fun, fun show for us. It's a monthly series, so stay tuned as we do The Invention of Hugo Cabret.
1: This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online.
0: That's right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Um, for those of you who are uh, fans of Popcorn Talk, you will know Marissa Serafina and I from Anatomy and Mo- Movie, where we dissect movies in depth. But we also have a passion for books. That we do. And Marissa, in fact, hosts another series here um, for Book Circle Online. And I said, hey, I want to jump in on this Book Circle Online thing. I like books. So I said, hey, why don't you and I get together? We already have great rapport. Um, and do something that relates to movies, relates to books, and so we did. We're doing adapted, and we love it. Um, each month, we will read a book. We'll let you know what book it is that we're reading, and one that has been adapted into a movie mm-hmm. or several movies. Or
1: several, yeah. I'm very excited because you love movies, I love movies, you love books, I love books, and you know, I'm, I'm very excited for Book Circle Online. I'm excited for our first one.
0: And you know what? How fitting that the first one should be. One that marries, for me, three loves. I love magic, I love movies, and I love books. And I guess I could say I also love paintings and pictures.
1: There you go. I love paintings and pictures, I love books, and I love movies. So there
0: you go. So the book that we're talking about is The Invention of Hugo, Hugo Cabaret. Um, and it's it's a 2007 novel. It's a historical fiction, fantasy, steampunk type Type of genre, and uh, that's that's the book, and it, it combines all these various things. Uh, to To give you guys a little context, it's about five hundred. It's it's about five hundred and thirty pages, um, two over two hundred eighty of which are pictures.
1: Yes, two hundred eighty four. So the, this book, the if you're actually following along, the actual book of the invention of Hugo Cabaret, it's a very thick book. It's also very deceiving, but it's nice when you first open it and read it. It. literally takes you 48 to 50 pages just to get to the first page of text. So, like, by the time you actually start reading, it feels like you've accomplished something and, like, read something, even though you're already encapsulated into, like, the pictures and in, in the story, which I enjoyed.
0: Yeah, and, you know, as we talk about this in the movie form, you, you know... Um, I obviously love the movie as well, uh, Hugo, directed by Martin Scorsese. But one of the things that I actually grew to love about the book, there's that great line um, in there where Hugo and and Isabel go to the movies. And, you know, they're looking at movie posters, and she says, sometimes I like seeing the pictures because it allows me to create the story. And one of the, you know, as I was watching the movie, I I, I thought about that quote simply because, you know, now I'm seeing it in, in... Moving form, whereas in the book itself, I'm able to kind of expand upon the, the the story itself just through the pictures because I can stay on the picture for as long or short as I want.
1: Yeah, what I enjoyed about you know the movie and also the book. The book shows you just a few pictures of what the characters are saying, but the movie kind of goes a little bit more in depth of what they're actually seeing like in, in real time, um, which I really enjoy. And I always do like watching movies that are like movies within movies, because that's always fun um, to see other characters enjoy movies when you, the audience, are already watching a movie. That's always a fun element to watch.
0: Absolutely. And uh, we should take a quick step back in the sense of if you guys, we, we have a rundown that Marissa and I obviously use. So if you'd like to follow along um, in the description box, we'll post the link for you guys to follow along, um, so that way you guys can, can follow along as well. And, you know, to a great extent, it, it I f- unlike with Anatomy, a movie where we say there's a spoiler alert, yes, there's a spoiler alert that we want to say to you guys, but at the same time, uh, you know, I, th- I think with books it's a little bit different in the sense that, um, you know, I think we can have an, a, a... It won't go as depth into story in the sense of spoiler-filled, but um, perhaps if you're worried about that, tune out. Go read the book first, then come back to us. Um, But hopefully, nonetheless, if you choose to listen to it, it it will just inspire you to read the book even more so. Because that's the – you know, it's dramatic irony in the sense, like, even if you know what's going on, the words and the text, and in this case the pictures, really come to life.
1: Mm -hmm. And the great thing about books is that, yes, we can tell, like, certain story elements or the the big key moments of the story – but it's also, the beauty of books is that when you read it, you have your own individual interpretation of it. So we can say it, but when once you, the reader, actually reads it, it could be something completely different. You
0: know? Indeed, that's the fun. Um, so Brian Selznick um, is, is the one who wrote it. He grew up in New Jersey, and one of the distinctions for me that uh, I believe, I, you know, I'm speculating that got his love for for movies. His grandfather um, was a cousin of Hollywood producer uh, David O. Selznick. And so, you know, there's that family connection to movies right off the bat. And so I imagine a lot, you know, that, that spurred his interest somewhat into this arena.
1: Yeah, and the interesting also, the thing also about Brian is that he didn't really... Um, go to school for illustration or like well he majored in illustration but he didn't really expect it f- it be illustration for children's books um that wasn't his his key you know s- core study which I, I found interesting because like I personally am very interested in illustration and graphic designing that's an uh, interest to me and so he went to school for that and then he by the means of you know. Working just you know to support himself, he did get a job at um, a children's book, and from there that's when he learned um, children's books, and he had to actually study and um, to and learn the knowledge of children illustrations and storylines.
0: Yeah, Eeyore's Books for Children in New York City is where he worked. Yeah. Um. So that's that's the that's the name of the place. Um. And you know, to be honest, I, one of the fun things I think. You know, as adults, perhaps, and feel free to comment if you agree or disagree. But I, I, I get the feeling that sometimes people have this notion that um, kids' books aren't as in depth, or can't be as meaningful. Um, and in fact, for me, whether it's it's this book or maybe Neil Gaiman's The Graveyard Book, um, perhaps another book that we'll talk about next time, which we'll tease at the end. Um, you know, there there's a sense to it. Like, they're they're just such fun and adventure uh, that – and I still get the same depths of emotion, if nothing else, as adult books, minus Uh, the long, drawn-out words.
1: (laughs) Right. No, agreed. Um, I always (laughs) enjoyed children's books and even, you know, teenage, the young adult books. Um, because there are a lot of pictures that can transport you into another land and, like, actually use that creative imagination that kids utilize so much more when they're, you know, in their youth than adults do.
0: Absolutely. And in that respect, too, one one of the things that I love about this book is the fact, you know, um, selfishly I'm, I'm... writing a book now and, and uh, I look at it in the sense of okay what can I utilize because I don't want to just do words and so a book like this it just inspires you in so many ways because it, it redefines what a novel can be well why can't you use pictures why can't you use this and that to tell the story um, and it sort of opens it up you know just as a medium in general
1: yeah, I mean, and that also shows, like, it can give you a sense of what you're trying to accomplish in your storylines. And that also uh, gives the audience a sense of, like, their own interpretations of what it could look like.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I have to just applaud this book. It, it uses all the elements so well. And the fun part is that it ties its, you know, it utilizes them be- not only to tell the story but it also is the story right uh, we talked about it there um, well uh, as Brian describes it's not exactly a novel not quite a picture book not quite a graphic novel or a flip book or a movie but a combination of all of these and you know one of the things we'll, we'll talk definitely story but the, the, the fun part about it too and one of the reasons it got driven to be a movie is because it has so many filmic elements and in fact as we may mention multiple times uh, it 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 honors movies.
1: Absolutely. And I think the good thing about this book, because of so many illustrations and pictures that you see, uh, I, I feel like uh, the the use of the pictures in this book like helps with the transition of scenes, helps you establish a flashback. There's so many different ways that he uses these pictures to tell his story um, that still keeps the, the, the storyline progressing forward, which I enjoy.
0: And uh, you, you did a lot of research in ter- terms of why he wrote this book or what inspired him. So I want to give us a little context on that, and then we'll dive into the story specifically.
1: Yeah, so uh, Brian Zelznyk, uh he, he really liked um, magicians, and and he he liked the old-time silent films, especially like George Melies. And then once he was doing more research about George Melies, he he, he learned that M- Melies also um, was very interested in clockmaking and... And automatons, which the which essentially like the same principles are also used with magicians, because the the sleight of hands and actual um, the mechanics of how to set up um, like a big uh, pr- I would say object or like uh, something when you put it together. Um, the same principles are building something, mm-hmm. and and so um, Brian he he looked more into that, and then he he thought about. Uh, we, when he was in in London, and the the stories of how he he learned that there was the story that uh, with all these automatons that um, this train station like burned down and a lot of them were destroyed. And uh, he so he envisioned maybe someone found one of the automatons and tried to save it, and that was like the conception of this, the character of Hugo. He could be so. How did Hugo get this automaton, and where do you go from there? So that was pretty much the story of how he thought of con- conceived Hugo.
0: Yeah, and yeah, uh, interestingly enough, um, I don't know why, but New Jersey just pumps out people who love magic. David Copperfield is also from. From New Jersey, just as a side fact <laughs> uh nonetheless uh you know um the the real life story of um george it, it it's so interesting because you know i, I mean it, it it's echoed very um almost are, are accurately within Hugo the book a um, couple of changes here and there as you might expect but overall the spirit of you know of, of everything that he did is contained within the book and that that's part of what I love about it um was the fact that he was able to to do that um in fact uh in in the uh in the movie there's that there's a line that's uh where he says you know happy endings are only for movies mm-hmm. and when I was doing the research I, I was like oh please let Please let it not just be in the book and the movies that it happened, that had a happy ending, but in fact, in real life, um, things you know he had a happy ending where. His movies got restored and and things of that nature. So the the very ending scene of the the book and the movie is very much in keeping with what kind of happened in real life as well. So I'm happy for that.
1: Yeah, I applaud the accuracy. And Brian Selznick also said he himself did a bunch of research of like the the true stories of what Milliers went through through his career. And he tried to apply that to the book and to make sure timelines and certain things and situations in life actually did. Properly, accurately line up. Uh, historically, you know.
0: Yeah, and I won't get into, you know. Um, in our rundown, I read the full, not the full history, but just kind of beat a bit bigger beats of um, George's life. Um, you know the slight distinction in real life and and what happens in the book. Yes, there's um, you know in the in the book they cite World War One as the cause of his downcline In real life, it was more so just the way movies were starting to be distributed. The movie industry was starting to kind of take off in that way. And, uh, you know, he wanted to stay an independent producer, um, which at the time, things were becoming more kind of studio-based and whatnot, believe it or not. Again, very, very early inception of it, but nonetheless, um, corporations were forming around this and... You know, they wanted to distribute movies differently. He didn't see it that way. And so, unfortunately, that's kind of what started his decline overall.
1: Which is, you know, really sad, but also... It's historically accurate, too, because it and also around this time, like talkies were starting to get invented and that changed the, the industry of movies as well and changed a lot of people's career and how things are distributed and why people went to the movies. And it's it's sad that, you know, the World War One was like a big factor, but also um, the, the sad notion that he made so many movies and so many were destroyed, but some were actually restored, which I enjoyed.
0: Some more. I mean, I remember seeing college. Um, you know, trip to the moon.
1: Same here. Yeah.
0: Classic. We had uh, to watch that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it's just fun. You know, it, it's a book like this. It, you know, um, maybe in the context of college and, and that. You know, um, academia can just have such a. I don't. I, I sometimes negative connotation because it's almost like you're required to learn this, mm-hmm. as opposed to this just brings out the, the joy of it and so it took on a whole new meaning when i saw it in this context obviously
1: yeah and you know i actually recently rewatched a trip to the moon and um and watching it now with more film knowledge that i have since film school um it's interesting because especially back in the time that meliès actually created the film not a lot of people were doing what he was doing they having the the visual ums that he had the the production value and going to the moon this was decades before we actually physically put someone on the moon so like he already had that thought and the fact that he added color to film which was not uh, a common thing back then um he did a lot of revolutionary things quote unquote especially back in that time
0: well think about you know um jules verne and he's made mention of within the books themselves um you know he kind of pioneered uh, technology in that way or at least the thought of it, and then you know he took it to like the movie that we're talking about, 1902. Mm-hmm. That's over a hundred years old for a medium that is not that old oh. in, contextually, you know, in comparison to books and everything else. Um, so you know, 1902, he was doing stuff that. The fact that we can still watch it, and yes, it's not, you know, you're not watching a Marvel CGI movie, but the fact that it still overall holds up is insane.
1: It certainly does, and, and the the fun thing about it is like there's it is a silent film, so you're really just watching the visual aspect of it, and it's it's fun seeing everyone together the how the visual looks of it, and you know the graininess, the fact that it is film, and you can see all the hard cuts that they did um, because it's film. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and you you saw this process of how they built this capsule and shot it to the moon and then once they were at the moon all the crazy things and creatures that they interacted with on the moon it's it was it's an actually pretty neat film for being only about 15 minutes long
0: and yeah i mean some of the things that he was known for uh the special effects that we talked about um substitution slices so so we um if you watch the movie of hugo you can see them do that but it's essentially like for example they were trying to catch somebody and then smoke would come up and then the person would disappear so that they would slice um the two things together um so he's known for that multiple exposures time-lapse photography dissolves and as you mentioned uh hand painted color yeah so um very very revolutionary at the time um but let's let's pause on him for a moment and let's um you know if you had to describe the story of hugo what what how would you describe it um and i guess another way to state that if if you want is what is the theme and what do you come away feeling
1: I i would explain to someone who's never seen or read the story is like it's a boy who's trying to uh fix something to explain the answers and get closer to his father but also learning more about himself also like he is an orphan boy but i don't think it really matters because i think it's more of that self-discovery of who his father is and like that um creating relationships and something that's was bringing up the past um you know those themes of family and history and learning from it i enjoyed
0: um I agree with you. For me, uh, more, more more specifically, it's about sort of this connection through imagination and and, and through everything else, through work that we're able to have, um, you know, two human beings, and how in a sense, like you may mention, right, uh, the the idea of fixing something. We all think that perhaps we need to be fixed, um, but not in the ways that we we initially might expect or or going after and out of that if we open ourselves up to the the glorious wonders of you know just life in general if you will um incredible things can happen
1: absolutely and i I think the great thing about this book is that children can enjoy adults can enjoy it there's really not a specific demographic that this book could be geared to yes it is technically a children's book but we're adults rooting, and we both enjoyed it
0: absolutely absolutely um because again going to that notion, I think like just the characters themselves and their interactions are just very authentic um, and I think that's a key component, and in some sense um, you know um it's like what really Puff the Magic Dragon really is about is losing about losing your imagination. And, you know, for adults, it takes on a different meaning because you look at something like this and you look at um, the character of um, George's, you know, he very much represents someone who's lost his inspiration, his, his perhaps not will to necessarily live, but, but just will to keep going and to keep fighting. And perhaps, especially in this day and age, uh, an adult can read that and, and see themselves very much in that same position and perhaps be re inspired.
1: Yeah, it's very relatable. And I think that's what kids can learn from it and what adults can take away from it. Um, like sometimes it is hard um, to dredge up your past, but also knowing and facing your past, that's where you can actually maybe face it, heal, and move forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, one of the things, symbolically in the book, they didn't quite touch upon it in the movie, um, which I thought was fine, uh, but the idea of Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that idea that, um, you know, here's here's an entity and he sort of creates humankind, um, but he wants them to have uh, the tools and the mean. You know, he wants them to still be able to have the things of the gods, if you will, and so he, he throws them. Um, things every now and then. And, you know, I, I, I just love the symbolism of that, um, you know, because, and then in the book, the cliffhanger that, oh, he was punished for what he did, being mm-hmm. Prometheus. And then, uh, yeah, just that line, like, when he says to go don't worry, Prometheus was, he was let go, or whatever. It yeah, he was let
1: go be. at the end. Uh, well, like, okay, I enjoyed <clears> the symbolism <throat> of Prometheus, too, because that's something, like, the, with the the story of Prometheus, um you know, it, it's because of your immortality you have to suffer, and I feel like George Milliers might have gone through that a little bit. Like his film literally will last lifetimes, and I mean it has last lifetimes. So we're still ta- talking about it, so you know there is some immortality to his work. Um, But now knowing what he suffered and went through, um, you you can take away from that and see the symbolisms and the parallelisms between Prometheus and George Melies.
0: Absolutely, one of the things um, I do want to talk about the relationship between Isabel and Hugo, because it's a very strong relationship, Um, and it's slightly. We'll talk about the differences between the movie version of it and the book version of it, but so let's let's talk specifically you know how you felt about the relationship in the book
1: in the book i thought it was an interesting it's it's nice to pair a a girl and a boy together especially at a young age because you can you know you have that um, companionship and you can play off of each other um i thought i felt a lot of tension and animosity between these two Um, for some reason and they are kids which they eventually um, like you know near the end they do develop a good strong friendship but it started off on a rocky road
0: yeah I, i i enjoyed for me i enjoyed the tension um because they're from the book's perspective they're both trying to figure out each other's motives um and part of hugo's motive is the fact that he needs to remain secretive about the various thing that he's up to because it could destroy his you know, livelihood if you will um you know I, I i there's distinctions you know i think in the movie they make him seem a lot more friendly or a lot faster mm-hmm. um even so much that uh I, I, when when the, the tom Tan first draws the, the a trip to the moon that famous picture um they very much go and see it together whereas in the book um and again it, it's it's a different choice and i thought it worked well f- the choices that were made for the movie and the book worked well for each because um, in the book i did enjoy the fact that there was that animosity of like how how did you find my workstation and then they end up ripping mm-hmm. unfortunately the, the the drawing that is made
1: Yeah, and I was just trying to question in the book, like, why Hugo is so distant, and like, I understand that he lost his family, he lost his father and his uncle, he really is alone, so he's fending for himself, but I was just questioning why, uh, why the, why the girl was, you know, because she has this family, but she was very resistant and somewhat dismissive to Hugo, um, which, which was surprising from being a girl usually the women and you know, little girls are more empathetic towards and more emotionally inclined towards people and I was just really kind of surprised why she was so dismissive right off the bat
0: uh, I'll speak to the first point because I can't quite fully speak to the second point maybe it'll come to me but um, in terms of Hugo you have to also understand that um, you know he's as an orphan he has to be very careful uh because he knows he would get sent to the orphanage. And the movie does a little bit better of a job with it because they illustrate that through so, uh, another orphan that gets caught by the station inspector. Yeah. But nonetheless, you, you know, though Isabel's intentions might be pure, he has to be very careful because nonetheless, if she exposes him in any sort of way, whether she wants to or not, um, there's a repercussion to that where, he, you know, he, he's going to be thrown into an orphanage and something obviously that he doesn't want. Certainly not at the moment, so um, that 's why I think he 's coming at it from where he 's coming at it from,
1: yeah, understandable. I do enjoyed um, the fact that you know because they kind of butted heads at the beginning, you can see that slow progression throughout the story that they 're finally learning more about each other they 're helping each other, especially once we get to the key scene. Um, you, you can see that Isabel 's actually like very interested in what Hugo's doing, and then she 's really along for the ride.
0: Let me ask you this. Why? Um, it was broken up... The, the book was broken up into parts. Um, which is fine, but I didn't necessarily see a need for it, if you will.
1: Yeah, me neither. There's part one and part two, and at the end of part one, you finally got the automaton just working. Yeah. Um, which I enjoyed. And in the movie, that's really the first 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's it's it, the, the, the halves are not quite the same.
1: Yeah, um, I don't know, maybe from a technically because this is a children's book if that's where if like parents are reading this to kids that would be a good point to stop Mm -hmm. um like for a break for children but if you do break it up in the one two parts they could be you can make like to in an episodic kind of feature, franchise it a little bit not not that's terrible with our industry always making franchises of everything, but that's like it's a good splitting point between the two because it felt like one the first half was about really just getting the automaton working and establishing mm-hmm. the characters and two is now learning what why and where did the automaton come from
0: and what's the connection to papa yes Papa George <laughs> Um absolutely. Um again, from my <laughs> from my perspective I didn't necessarily need I mean a good enough stopping point is the next chapter for me always.
1: Yeah. Or the next picture yeah. there's hundreds of them. <laughs> uh
0: but nonetheless, uh I do want to talk about um uh I'm gonna butcher his name. And Etienne? Etienne Etienne. Um because he does not appear in the movie. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of, from the book perspective, uh, you know, did you, I thought, I mean, I liked him because he was just such a, I don't know why, and in terms of what you were talking about, I- Isabel and Hugo, if Isabel's a little bit more standoffish, here he comes, and he's just like, great, whatever, come to the movies, you're in. Oh, you need this? Alright, I got you. Oh, you want that book? I'll give you some money.
1: Right, like, I really liked Etienne because in the book, he's that that male companion that Hugo so needs in his life, I mean, he doesn't have a male figure, and the fact that Etienne he is younger, he is a college student, um, so he's younger and closer to the age of Hugo. He can he and he's still that character that's just fr- fun, and he inspires Hugo. Um, like he gets him to the movie theaters and breaks him in, and like they he um, he really. It feels like Etienne is the catalyst to why Hugo's doing everything. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the movies, and then the introduction of magic, and um, got Hugo's interest in, like, oh, this is why mu- mu- um, magicians like clock making and the automatons. Like, Etienne really started Hugo off, kind of, on his journey.
0: Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, in the movie, I think they kind of combine that into the father role, just in general, and and into other ca- and lesser parts into other characters
1: yeah in in the book he Etienne is his own character but I felt in the movie they kind of split it between the father and also Tobar, mm-hmm. Um, because he is tobard's is just like another Person that's already at the university, so maybe kind of cut out the middleman, which is Etienne.
0: Yeah, and also too, I, 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 um, I would I venture to say the Christopher Lee character in the movie that they, they kind of put it on him. Uh, he's the uh, the bookshop owner. Yeah, um, I forget uh, Monsieur L. I believe is is his name. Um, uh, any other elements from the book that stood out to you that you want to discuss that, that you rather enjoy?
1: Um, I like. I liked how the book, and I think the movie does it as well. But the book really establishes the that train station that Hugo mm-hmm. lives in, and it is its own world and a character of it in itself. And as you see in the pictures, like the the scope and the actual you know scale of him going through the tunnels, and he knows like the literally the ins and outs of the train station, and it is his home. And I, I felt it was really fascinating to follow Hugo throughout this whole story, throughout the train station.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, you can look at it almost like it's just a map. Um, yeah. You know, a very detailed map. And so, you know, when one of the things that we're going to talk about is, okay, what what might have drawn someone to make the movie? And you can call it, okay, for lack of a better term, what are the filmic elements of the book that... That people know will translate well when you look at this as you mentioned the train station um, also there's there's the parts where the train crashes or or things like that Um, hanging from clocks which is a call back to uh, safety last Um, that's a movie from 1923 Harold Lloyd Uh, yes indeed Uh, you know the running through tunnels the running through um, the clocks um, and everything like that and even just the the smaller moments that we get of, of Paris life um, in general, um, we got that great kind of drawing of the Eiffel Tower, and then we ev- eventually enter into um, the train station itself. Uh, so, so it, it 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 just lends itself so nicely to be filmed.
1: Oh yeah, especially, and it really plays off of the imagination as well. I f- I feel like the film does a good job of you know the the crashing through the the train crash. Um, that was a real thing, and the fact that they kind of incorporated it into the film as a nightmare that Hugo goes through, because he knows about it. Um, I enjoyed that they actually showed it, um, and, and in the newer sense. And then, hanging from the clock face, it, it still kind of ties to what Hugo was going through, like, running away from the station, uh, station inspector. Um, I Like, I really... Like, visually, this movie was gorgeous. And Hugo, like Scorsese, like, he purposely filmed it in the, for that 3D element. And there are moments in the film where you can clearly tell if you actually were watching it in proper 3D. It was, like, beautiful on, on screen.
0: Yeah, I mean, so as, as we sort of jump to the, the adaptation of it, um, uh, GK Films acquired the rights to the book shortly after it was uh, published, and John Logan was contracted to write the screenplay. Um, it took a while to, you know, the the movie itself didn't come out until 2011. So it was quite a while through the development process itself. Um, but, yeah, of all people, you know, Scorsese known for his gangster films, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one one of the reasons, that, and he's talked about, that, like, he just has such a love of cinema. The movies that this guy knows... Uh, even though it's sort of not his genre, you understand why he would be drawn to make this movie in particular
1: absolutely and like I said earlier like this film is a film within a film um, talking about and showing and you know showcasing Melier's career and showing that on film what that would look like and what Meliers went through the the production aspect you saw a moment where he's actually the you saw the whole production crew putting. Uh, trip to the moon together that's cool because we've only seen the actual film we don't know what it's like actually putting it together and i i think scorsese did a great job of showcasing that um and there, there was like moments where like when not to jump ahead but uh when the papers are flying all over across the screen once they finally get the you know they the broke cabinet. the Omar. Yeah. And the papers are flying like that was a simple thing in the book, but in the film they like really showed the the different pictures flying at you at screen in three D format. Um I thought that was a nice visual element that they really escalated.
0: Yeah, what I what I thought, you know, um, you know, what was fun for me was in terms of the book I was able to breeze through the book very fast and as I mentioned I would stop it. Like when I got to the text I would read through the text very fast because you know it's very easy to read and you know, I want to get to the next thing. When it came time for the picture, I would slow down my pace and I, you know, because I wanted to take mm-hmm. that in a little bit more. Um, what the movie, what the movie for me does really well is it has very good pacing. And even though obviously you don't necessarily get to pause um, unless you want to. You know the, the movie keeps moving at its own pace, and and, and you have to kind of follow that along. But at the same time, you get they the timing of which you get to absorb this stuff. I, I thought
1: was matched very perfectly. Yeah, and the book, the first part one is the first forty five minutes of the movie, and I, I felt like the movie, the pacing was still fine. But I felt the movie did slow down near the middle, especially once we got to the reveal of uh, who George. George's was, and then we were explaining and showing his whole career and what he went through, putting all the films together. Um, I enjoyed that because that is that production process that I personally just love watching.
0: Um, That's the part. So originally the movie was slated for 100 million, and then it ballooned into about 170 million. Uh so I imagine the ballooning aspect of it had a lot to do with shooting these mini movies within the movie. Yes. Um but I'm glad they did uh because that yeah, you know, I think what the movie does well is highlights those a little bit more. Like the book in general is is a ton of fun and I get a lot out of it, but that specifically of really seeing that as you made mention um I'm glad, if nothing else, the movie was made for that reason.
1: Absolutely, and it, it also introduces people who aren't familiar with Georges Méliès' work, especially because so much of it was lost. And the fact that they're showing in in the book, you see one picture, maybe every like a few movies that he did. But in the movie, they showed they actually showed the mini movies. Um, so it, it's kind of like a small film festival within itself. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, um, and one of the things too that I did enjoy about the movie is that um, it was a lot. It was able to play with the voyeuristic elements of the train station a little bit more. Um, you know, the the station manager is a little bit more developed, and Monsieur and Madame mm-hmm. um, of the bakery. Uh, they their relationship develops a lot more, and you know, it, sometimes it's just kind of there. Other times, you know, you can see Hugo directly. I mean, being at a train station, thats that must be the best people watching you can get.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, public places like that. And you mentioned the voyeuristic aspect. You definitely visually saw how Hugo was watching people from his different vantage points within the, the station. I mean, you get a sense of him looking behind clocks and peepholes here and there. But, like, everywhere that Hugo turned in the movie, he could see, like, every aspect of the train station.
0: hmm um, one of the things that I don't know, okay, I, you know, maybe that's not, not a big deal, but I, I felt that it slightly cheated for Isab- on Isabella's behalf was the fact that uh, Hugo understands how to pick locks in the movie, whereas in the book, he needs her very much to pick the locks because he doesn't know how.
1: Yeah, that like I didn't really mind the change because Hugo is he knows clocks he knows gears it makes sense that his character would know how to pick a lock, um, but in the book it kind of shows that Isabel's character is a little bit more daring, um, mm-hmm. a little bit more adventurous, and that's what Hugo need. And I think in in the movie there's a line like now you know they we're on an adventure, mm-hmm. um, but like I, I enjoyed it either way. It didn't really change the story at all.
0: Um, part of, and, you know, I th- there, there's so much magic in the movie, but part of what also did stand out to me in the book in particular was the notion, um, and the movie just does this in a different way, how, um, uh, Papa George, he, 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 he kind of gets Hugo going on his own, he sees something within Hugo, um, and obviously he doesn't explain it, but, um, he's punishing him through through having him clean the store and fixing the various things, but he he sees himself obviously within within Hugo, and so much so that he inspires him. Like with in, in the book, he's doing his various card tricks, which leads Hugo to want to do the same and explore and learn. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I like that element. Um, again, I, I think the movie made up for it, but nonetheless, um, I, I really enjoyed that as part of the book that just wasn't in the movie.
1: Yeah, I felt like the the first half really established Hugo as a clock ma- inventor, like as someone who can fix clocks, knows gears, knows parts very well, and knows how something is as complicated and intricate as an automaton. Um, I believe the character could fix it. In the movie, not so much That is just something he kind of tinkered with, but not something he actually studied like he did in the first part of the book.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, another differentiation was that uh, Isabel had never seen a movie. In the movie, she had never seen a movie.
1: But it kind of makes sense if she was raised by George, Papa George, who completely cut it out of his life. It, he translated to Isabel, so it makes sense that she grew up... Having maybe the sense that movies were forbidden in, in the house.
0: Yeah, well, that's where it, like um, how do you say his name again? Et- Etienne. Etienne, because he's because he's not part of the movie. He's the one who would sneak her in because she wouldn't get money from 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 her godparents to go to the movies. So therefore, she was snuck in, and that's how her love of movies in the book came about. If you eliminate that character, she essentially can't go to the movie. So it makes sense for the. Hugo the movie.
1: Yes, it did. Um, but I, I liked it because <clears throat> also the fact that like she enjoys movies also makes her character help Hugo along for the uh, along the ride and like she's encouraging him to put this automaton together, learn more about her own godparents. Yeah.
0: And what, you know, it when I do also enjoy, right? If you're if you're an adult, we talked about adults reading the book, but if you're an adult watching the movie, Um, it kind of brings you back to the joy of why you fell in love with movies the first time. Because, you know, at a certain point, you might start to get jaded, um, especially perhaps now with so many of these superhero movies. You're like, ah, all the Mm. movies are the same. But, you know, nonetheless, it just reminds you, like, yes, that might be a couple of the movies, but movies in general, if you really, like, that's what got you to love movies, certainly for me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always watched and read, you know, watched movies and read books as a kid, and knowing that Isabel didn't really have that growing up—that's a sad, sad realization. So I'm glad that, like, at a young age, she was like instilled upon like how great movies are and like how they can transport you into a different world and use that creative imagination. Um, I enjoyed it.
0: Absolutely. Um, any other distinctions that you saw between the book and the movie?
1: Um, I wish we could have seen Hugo working on the automaton a little bit more. In the mm. movie, it's pretty much already well-placed, put, already put together. It's just missing the, the key. Um, I would have actually liked to see the process of Hugo trying to actually fix it.
0: One of the things that I did like about the movie and Even, you know, I saw the movie when it first came out, but I I had forgotten the the finer details. As I was reading the book, in the book, the key kind of comes out of nowhere, and he Mm -hmm. knows why he needs it, and then it opens up that mystery. But I like in the movie, you know, I knew movie-wise, when I would go to rewatch it, that the key visually would have to be foreshadowed in the movie. Like, you can't really get around it, and so I'm glad that they were able to foreshadow it, and then he sees it. Um, on her necklace he's like I need that
1: yeah and they showed it and also because in the book this is where like there's still tension between these two because Hugo steals the key not act- not properly ask Isabel for the key <laughs> and because he steals it uh, Isabel like clearly attacks him so um, I-, I liked how the movie made it more friendly be like oh I need that can I borrow it please here I'll show you what I need it for um, that I didn't really mind that change
0: yeah, and I also I I did like uh, Christopher Lee's character as the the bookstore owner, um, you know where he gives him Robin Hood, mm-hmm. uh, something that wasn't in the book. So, I you know I I just enjoyed while we lost a, a character, um, quite a somewhat major one from the book. Um, the other ones were able to be fleshed out, um, and and I enjoyed that part of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, even Lizette, and I think uh, Emily Mortimer, she's a a great actress, too. So, it was nice seeing, like, all these actors, all their characters, you know, be enhanced a bit, especially the train station inspector. Yeah, Um, he
0: he was made an orphan, which, in the book, you don't really know that at all.
1: Right, no, and in the book, I feel like the train station, uh, the inspector's only there for maybe two or three moments, and in the... Movie like he's a looming threat, um, that kind of carries throughout the whole film, which I enjoy.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, what works for the book, which wouldn't have worked, you, you can get into Hugo's head, and so even though we don't interact with the tr- uh, station inspector, he's he's a th- he's mentally a threat throughout, even if he's not mm-hmm. a physical threat. And so, for a movie, you have to, have to obviously have to translate that mental threat to a physical threat, and so, and the fact that they were able to utilize that then. And not just not just put him in there, but also develop his storyline. That you know, he, here he is, loves the girl. He himself is an orphan, and you know, by the end, you do feel bad for him. You're like, oh, you yeah. <laughs> Orphans need to learn that families aren't necessary, and, and all that. And you're like, oh, you you poor sad man.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, he just needs love in his life. Um, I enjoyed that they actually increase. Like gave the character more to do in the movie and also like I think because they had Sasha Baron Cohen, he is a bigger name the who can draw a bigger crowd. Um, I, I feel that could have been a reason why they made his character bigger. Also um, in the book there's no dog that's chasing He it's just the inspector and in the movie there's also the inspector and the dog constantly running through the train station so i feel like the added threat of a dog chasing you and hunting you down that's also scary
0: yeah, and you know in its in its unique way you you, you you know you could make criticism of the movie and call it hokey but everyone gets a happy ending so you know you know part of the ha- part of the reason for having the dog is that uh his leg is messed up from World War One. Right? Mm-hmm. But at the end, not only does he get the girl, Hugo also makes him this amazing brace and that doesn't squeak, that doesn't lock up, and he's all happy. That's great. It's fantastic.
1: Yeah, because at the beginning of, you know, the the story, those two are at each other. They're like, Well, is really the inspector gunning it for for Hugo, but the fact that they build a relationship and friendship at the end um, shows character arc within both of them.
0: Absolutely. Um, one of the here's a quote by um, Robert Ebert that I th- think encompasses why Scorsese did the movie and and just in general of of the movie and the book that I feel. So quote: He goes unlike any other film Martin Scorsese has ever made and. And yet, possibly the closest to his heart, a big budget family epic in three d and in some ways a mirror of his own life. we feel a great artist has been giving command of the tools and the resources he needs to make a movie about movies
1: movies a movie within a movie
0: um so absolutely you know um and you know i part of as I, I I mentioned this quote a little bit earlier, but one of the things that I loved about you know. Life is like the movies.
1: It definitely is,
0: and you know, it's just a matter of perspective and and just have you know uh, thought, if you will, and what a state of mind, whatever you want to call it. But you can have a happy ending, too.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad that the story all had a happy endings. So
0: indeed. So uh, it, it, and as we made mention, it translates so well um, in terms of accolades for the movie. You know, it was nominated 11 times for the Academy Awards, including Best Picture. It it didn't go on to win that. It did win Best Cinematography, Best Art Direction, Best Sound Mixing, Best Sound Editing, and Best Visual Effects. So, all very deserving. Um, You know, and I'm glad it just got considered. And uh, Scorsese did win a a Golden Globe for directing. So, um, a lot of praise there. And I, I think, believe it or not, You know, I don't know... Like, when people think of Scorsese... Like, I think people, in some sense, forgot a little bit about Hugo the movie. Mm -hmm. But I think in time, when when Scorsese's body of work is complete, people will actually look back to that movie more so.
1: Yeah, I feel like this movie is more timeless than all of his other films that he he's done um i think, and this i feel is geared this movie is geared to a bigger wider demographic than his usual films are and i think this one is more enjoyable um there's not really a lot of cursing like most of his movies is it's it's a pleasant movie to watch for scorsese and he usually has long movies he me personally, Scar says he's kind of like a hit or miss, but this movie is definitely a hit, and I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed it when it first came out. It was gorgeous. I went out and bought it. Um, you know, when we when it first came out, it's it's a beautiful film.
0: Yeah, and one of the fun things, you know, there might be some adaptations of movies that we talk about uh, that don't do a service. To the book as much, and we'll pro- say that that the book is way better. Or conversely, it might be the other way. Which, I- ironically, if we ever do the prestige, I think that's a fun one. Where I think the movie is actually better than the book, to be honest with you. But, prestige is great Phil. Um, but nonetheless, I think what's great about this uh, the 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 original source material, that being the book, um, is fantastic. But the movie also does it an amazing service, and sometimes that's a very rare thing to get both on that same level yeah
1: and i'm glad the movie had accolades and the book also had accolades um brian zelsnick won the 2008 caldecott medal for for this particular book it won the national book award it was a national book award finalist new york times best illustrated book of 2007 publisher's weekly best book um the 2007 quill award winner 2007 borders original voices finalist there's a lot of R.I.P. Book. Borders. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, I miss Borders. But uh, another bookstore that's still around, Barnes & Nobles. This was also 2007's number one best book for kids for Barnes & Nobles. So this when it, this book came out, um, it received high praise as well.
0: Absolutely. Um, so overall, there you have it. Um, what I, we encourage you to see, obviously, not only the movie, but also to read the book. And if you're like me, I encourage you to get it from your local library.
1: <laughs> and if you're like me, you can just go buy it. <laughs> uh,
0: both options are good. Yes. Just don't steal it. No, don't, don't be steal a thief. It,
1: don't be a Hugo. <laughs> don't be um, a thief.
0: All right, Marissa, shall we uh, tease what we've got coming up next month?
1: Yes. So our next adapted book we're planning on doing the Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling published in 1894. A classic story, classic movie that was made off of it. Um, classic also, movies. There's movies. W- There's several movies based off of it. But yeah, they we're doing The Jungle Book. If you don't know the story, I highly suggest you read it. So you do.
0: Absolutely. So we're, we're going to do that one. Um, and if you want, uh, obviously, please do read the book. Additionally, we encourage you to see not only the animated Disney movie, but also the live-action movie. For me, I also enjoy the 1994 other live-action movie (laughs) before the new live-action movie came out. I actually think that one's a lot of fun. It's a little bit different than the book... but I actually enjoy it quite a lot um, and then there's a, another movie that I didn't even know that existed a ni- 1984 version Marissa? The
1: 1984 version
0: so I'll have to see that one so plenty of Jungle Book adaptations to talk about and we'll talk about them all as well um, as well as the book so um, look out for that also uh, let us know what books you'd like us what books they have to be have been turned into movies so we mm-hmm. can't just do any it's book adapted um but let us know any suggestions that you'd like us to take on after The Jungle Book, and uh, we'll we'll highly consider it. And In fact, uh, as of now, Marissa, I might be leaning towards The Prestige. Oh. Because I think that'll be fun for you. That would be good. It's certainly going to be fun for me. Um, if you guys disagree, <laughs> then let us know. <laughs> it's
1: a great film, so I'd be excited for it.
0: Um, so there you have it. Any final thoughts before we wrap this up, Marissa?
1: Um, I enjoyed Hugo if... Um, if you haven't read Hugo, now I hopefully we did a good job of uh inspiring you to go read it and um like it's it's good story. I'm really excited for the show because you love movies and books, I love movies and books and hopefully you guys do too. Yeah,
0: and you know, uh let us know too what you thought. This is our first episode, so let us know what you guys thought worked well, um what maybe you'd like to see changed up a little bit, were not um we're of the elk where we're happy to make changes and cater to you guys what you guys want most. Um, you know, We might play around with the format ourselves as well to test out new things. Who knows? Um, that's the fun part for us. We like to grow and develop um, along with you guys and so forth. So, nonetheless, this has been fun for us. At Serafini TV for Marissa. That's right. Um, just go to philsweetech.com. You can you can get all my stuff there.
1: And you can get all of our stuff for our rundown. There's also good links and uh, references to the Brian Sellsnakes interview and you can learn more about him and the book as well.
0: Absolutely. So definitely check that out. And another show that Marissa and I host together is called Anatomy of Movies. So if you love the movies, every week we uh, generally discuss two movies. If not, definitely one um, of the latest movies that have come out in theaters. It's a lot of fun for us. It's not your typical review show. It's very much Mm in-depth. We also talk about the production side of things, so um, definitely check that out. It's called Anatomy of Movie. Um, Marissa, uh, what's the name of your series here on Book Circle?
1: On Book Circle 9, I cover the When Calls the Heart series by Jeanette Oak. And we have a couple more books down the line um, that we're going to be talking about. Um, yeah, so it co- covers the Canadian West. Monty's in the Canadian West.
0: There you go. So uh, there you have it. Thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you next time with the Jungle Book. Um, until then, just keep reading. It's uh, It's a fun activity that hopefully you guys all enjoy. And keep spreading the love of books everywhere. Books aren't dead. <laughs> Bye. Bye. From managing
1: editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to BookCircleOnline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at BookCircleOnline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.